We're unabashedly obsessed We've got to get it off our chest Please sit there and be quiet Hey everyone. Hello. Welcome to Unabashedly Obsessed. I'm James. I'm Aaron. On our show we like to talk about things related to pop culture. And not so pop culture. And Stephen King. <laughs> yep. <laughs> sure do. Let's call a spade a spade. Uh, before we get but before we get into talking about Stephen King, uh-huh. I have I want to talk about something related to my immortal. Okay. So I was reading a New Yorker article about a a book that takes place in 18th century New York, whatever, that sort of plays with some of the stuff from books of that time. Okay. And it makes a reference to a book called uh, Tristram Shandy. Um, I think the... That's a mouthful. Yeah. The the full title is like The Life and Times of Tristram Shandy or whatever. Okay. Um, my dad actually gave it to me after I read a number, like a, a Don Juan and a couple of other old, like old novels or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um it's supposed to be really good, and it has sort of a meta element to it. Okay. Um, so I was thinking about. Uh, I'm going to read you a sentence I read, and then and then, see, and I think you'll be able to see why I was thinking about my immortal. So it says, Tristram Shandy, which was published in installments, features both an anxious review of its own undisciplined structure and fictional quarrels between the author and readers who objected to earlier volumes. What? I think. Preps Stop Flamin' was a callback to, like, old school, like... What? Yeah. You think that whoever... You think that Tara Gillespie knew about this Tristram Shandy thing? I think that, in the at the very least, it was a style reference. I think that it's, it was definitely, like... Because think about, like, the only times... Like, because once the novel as a novel started coming out... Yeah. We stopped having the, like installment plan for publishing things true until like fan fiction sites and stuff yeah i mean you're not wrong so like i think that it's further proof that my immortal was not only intentionally written but intentionally written and full chock full of easter eggs of that sort oh my goodness (laughs) God, I want to know who Tara Gillespie is because I want to shake her hand and buy her a coffee. Yeah, she. Yeah, it. It, it has. I'm. I'm convinced that 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 even that aspect was a reference to other things. Man. Yeah, because it happened every single time in a dedicated section in the exact way that I imagine. So that that book has has scooted up a little bit on my list of yeah, things. Yeah, I, I was gonna read. say now I want to read it. <laughs> yeah. It looks like a big, big, huge tome, and that oh, yeah? can be fine, or it can be a real slog. Yeah, depends on how many like local government officials you're raking over the coals in your in your thing. Where yeah. it's like, ha! In 1750, this would have been a, a sweet burn, but now right. I have no idea. Who that is. <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. Speaking of giant tomes, yes, we didn't read one this week. No, we read a fairly sizable, a fairly decent, ordinary sized yeah. book. Just a book, just an ordinary book. An ordinary book. Um, Nothing weird happening in this book. So we read Pet Cemetery. <sighs> we sure did. I would say, I would say, official UFO canon. We read it as a result of our conversation with Caitlin. Yes. She had at least one of our conversations with Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin. Included us 
us her being like Pet Cemetery is my favorite. This is a must read. The the last thirty pages are like the best, yeah. scariest thing I've ever read. So I will agree with that. I gave this book five stars on Goodreads. Yeah, I did not like this book. Okay, I am. That is, I don't know that that has ever happened before. That I have not liked a book and given it five stars. There are a lot of times when I've liked a book but not given it as many stars as my liking of it would have implied. Okay. Because I'm like, I really liked this, but it was kind of garbage. Yeah. So instead of giving it five stars, like it was a two-star book, but I enjoyed it, so I'll give it three. Right. But I don't think that I have ever given a book five stars because it made me feel so many things. Yeah. Oh, spoilers. Oh, so many. I mean, we're just going to spoil with abandon. Yeah. But man, like just so many feelings. I, I, this is not one that I will ever reread. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I found this was one of the most horrifying things that I've ever read. Okay. On multiple levels. Okay. And you, and see, you knew going in the general plot. I knew what the plot was. Yeah. I, I still surprise people that in my, like in my family with my not wanting to know anything yeah. at all like that th- th- there was a pet cemetery was almost too much of a spoiler <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding no you're a- not a little bit you're you're mostly kidding i'm mostly kidding um but i didn't know anything about it and because it helps you like look for and like i definitely see the other side of it because if i'd known what it was about you can definitely start looking for clues that appear yeah. super early yeah as it was for me, I was like, that seems like a pretty foreboding way to put that sentence. Yeah. And then and what's funny about Stephen King is and he did this in uh he did this in um Gerald's game too. He'll reveal something s- huge mm-hmm. at the beginning of a paragraph that's not about that. Yeah. Which is such a badass thing to do as a writer. Uh-huh. I mean like you know, it's like, so then it turned out they were dead the whole time. But their shoes were the color, like. And then you get this whole paragraph about mm-hmm. shoes. And by the time you get to the part where it brings you back to the part where they're dead the whole time, you've completely forgotten that they're dead the whole time. And he just like, oh, he, so he did it. Um, Yeah. I, I don't remember what where he did it, but I remember being like, hey, that's like when he said that thing about the guy in the room before. Yeah. And then two, and like five pages after the fact in Gerald's game, he was like, hey, remember how I said that man was an actual existing thing? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I felt the same way about this. Yeah. Um. So where shall we start with How this? many stars did you give this? And did you like it? And would you reread it? Basically all the things I just said, your version. I thought it was incredibly well written. Yes. And super, super compelling. Yes. The short length of it means that I'm far more likely to reread it. Okay. I didn't find it... I wasn't um, sickened by it. I wasn't... Okay. Um, the emotional stuff... I think it should have hit me probably harder than it did. Okay. Um, Just because I, I have a, a young son. Right. Um, I I did not expect it to hit me as hard as it did. Yeah. Because typically one of the things that I like about books versus movies is that when I'm reading it, I can kind of 
I'm not seeing it. Like it's not being forced into my eyeballs. Yeah. And so I can kind of shut off the part of my brain that sees things. Yeah. It's hard for yeah. me to do that. But this one, like I was really surprised that I kept having to take breaks yeah. to go do mundane things like fold laundry or walk the dogs or yeah. text you and be like, my God, James, this book, I need to take a break. Distract yeah. me from this book. I gave it five stars. Okay, good. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I didn't need, like, I had to do the same thing with Gerald's game with the with the wrist bleeding. Stuff. Yeah. Like, I had to, like, fit even just looking up and just staring into space for a sec to catch my breath from feeling nauseous. And see, I didn't have that with Gerald's game. Yeah. Like, I mean, I had the physical reaction with, like, my shoulders tightening up and stuff. Yeah. When she was initially stuck to the bed. Right. But I didn't, I, w- I would have expected that Gerald's game would have, made me react more strongly because it's so gruesome and gory and it's an actual situation that one could find oneself in. It's weird that you reacted so strongly to the male protagonist and I reacted so strongly to the female yeah. protagonist. Weird. Huh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess in theory I could find, you know, one could find oneself in the situation that one's child has been killed. Right. I meant more like the part where you then spoilers bury them and they reanimate right. is the part where I but that wasn't the upsetting part to me that whole part two the whole funeral section right. was I almost skipped over it interesting because okay. it was so upsetting for me I don't necessarily think that it's it's where the conversation needs to go but I am intrigued about do you have thoughts about why is it because it was, as a mom it was, thing? Is it mom? I think it's partly a mom thing. I think it was just really well written. Yeah. Um, I also was already like all in my feels about the way they were treating the poor cat. Yeah. So they so the basically the plot is this family moves from Chicago to Maine uh, for the dad to take a job at the University of Maine as like the head doctor there. Yeah. Um, yeah. In like the medical center. And the road that they move on to is a fairly busy road. Yeah. Lots of, like, semis and stuff going down that road. Right. And they're warned about the semi. The neighbor across the street warns them about the semis and says, you know, be careful about your cat and your kids. (sighs) Inevitably, the cat ends up getting hit by a truck, and the old man across the street takes Lewis, our protagonist, to this pet cemetery, and then takes him beyond the pet cemetery to a Native American burial ground, where if you bury something there, it will reanimate and come back. Because out of a sense of obligation, because Lewis saved his wife's life. Yes. Yeah. His wife had a cardiac incident. Yeah. And Lewis was there and treated her. There's something about that, because that was sort of a revival as well. Yeah. There was also, he said that it, that he did it because initially he said, I feel like I owe you yeah. for having saved Norma's life. But later he says, also, this place gets a hold of you and it makes you want to tell someone. I got some real obdurate past sort of yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the cat comes back and it referenced that nursery rhyme that I was singing to you the other day that you were looking at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about. The cat came back the very next day. Oh, right. The cat came back and he wouldn't stay away. I, I probably have the tune completely wrong. Don't at me. But so the cat comes back. The don't cat's name cat is, her either. Don't cat me. 
The cat's name is Church, and he comes back and he's just not right. He smells bad. Yeah. His eyes are kind of flat and dull. He's not walking with the grace that cats typically have. He's like stumbling and and Lewis is like grossed out by this. Like yeah. he recognizes that there's something wrong. Yeah. With the cat. The cat has not come back as the cat that he knew. Right. And so when this all happened over Thanksgiving weekend when his wife and two kids were visiting her family in Chicago. Right. So they come back and his daughter, who whose cat it is, recognizes the change immediately. But she's like, the cat smells bad. I don't want him in my room. Right. And right before this happened, they had gotten the cat neutered. Right. Thinking that it would keep the cat from wandering. Right. Which clearly it didn't. And the wife just kind of chalks it up to, huh, the cat's been really strange ever since we got him neutered right before we went on vacation. Right. Lewis knows exactly what it is. Right. But the whole family is just mean to this cat. And I get that the cat is not... Like, the cat's a zombie cat. Right. I get that. The cat is not the cat that they know and love. But they're, like, kicking it and, like, using a broom to shoo it out of the house. And they're shoving it off the sofa. Right. And just being really mean to this cat in the way that only Stephen King seems to be able to be repeatedly (laughs) mean to animals. It was, like, one of my notes... I didn't write many notes, but one of them is I'm really bothered by how physically violent they get with this cat after it reanimates. Now, the broom thing was because, like, he talked about how physically touching the zombie cat gave him the the creeps. Right. Like, so he... I I didn't didn't get the imagine they were slap-shotting the cat. No, but, but, like, there was a point where... It, there were multiple points where it mentioned, you know, the cat eyed him as though it was waiting for him to kick it. Right. Like, the cat knows... You know, if I stick around too much, I get kicked. And, like, it just, it broke my heart because the cat didn't ask to be zombified. Right, right. And, like, I mean, Judd had talked about when he found out about the pet cemetery. Judd is the old the Judd old is man. the old man across the street. Right. Um, he found out because he was told about it and buried his dog there and the dog came back and it smelled bad. So he tried to give it a bath and he said it was like washing a piece of meat. Right. The dog just sat there. And, like, the essence of life that animals have wasn't there it was a it was a reanimated body with right it's almost like the soul is gone right and so like i get why lewis is grossed out at the thought of picking up this essentially cat corpse right i get it but it's still just it made me so sad for the cat Hmm. okay yeah and so when i'm already feeling sad for the cat and there's all this stuff that was making me, it was giving me a lot of feelings about getting old and dying. Sure. Because of the old people across the street. Yeah. And so I'm already like, you know, oh, the poor cat. And then I'm like, oh, God, I hope I never get so old that my body and mind start to fail me. Right. Like, I don't ever want to get to the point where my body doesn't function the way it's supposed to, or my mind doesn't function the way it's supposed to. Absolutely. And so, like, all of that was already there. And then this stuff happens with the kid. And even though I knew it was coming, it was described in pretty good detail, the actual accident. I mean, in in pieces. Like, it, like eventually, by the end of the book, 
you have a pretty good idea about what happened. Well, I mean, like, it talked about him being hit by the truck and dragged yeah. down the street and, like, his sweater's over there and one of his shoes is over there. And later they start talking about the baseball cap full of blood. Right. But, like, you kind of get the feeling that there wasn't much body left. Right. Obviously there was. There was yeah. But I was... Re- I mean, I, I had some concerns about what was going to happen when he reanimated that little boy. Yeah. But ju- just because I'm like, how much of this child is left? Because right. like scars and wounds kind of heal over. Yeah. But like this kid got hit by a truck and dragged. So his body's got to be pretty mutilated. Yeah. yeah. And like they talked about when he took him out of the coffin like the stitches holding his head on. Yeah. Forming a circlet around his neck. Yeah. I just got a heebie jeebies. Yeah. Uh, it's. Yeah. Well, yeah. There were a lot of things that. Something that interested me was how little of the book was reanimated child. Yeah. It was like only the last quarter of the book. If even it, that, it was, I would say it was it was maybe well, the last sixteenth. Like last it was, quarter of the book was from the time he decides this is what needs to happen. Right. But there was a lot of grave digging. Yeah, a lot of grave robbing. Yeah, which I thought was, you know, Trey Stephen King. Like, of yeah. course, of course, like getting in and getting out of the cemetery was like fascinating. Yeah, like I was like. Like, I think the thing that, that always gets me about Stephen King is, like, that he thinks of, like, all right, well, how would you do it? You got to get your tools in. You got to get a corpse out. The, yeah. The door's locked. What are you going to do? Yeah. What do you do? Like, it, You find a convenient hill that goes right up to the top of the fence. Exactly. And you just toss that shit over it. <laughs> exactly. Um, Or the part where he had he had the body in the car, and he's like, oh, it's going to creep me out if the kid's facing the wrong way yeah oh there's his nose okay we're yeah. good let's go <laughs> yeah but like then i guess the daughter has the shine <laughs> yes okay so i was gonna ask you about this um when he's well maybe maybe we wait and go into this later okay um but i felt like there was a definite randall flag reference okay interesting um, all right that is based purely on the fact that I have seen the nineteen ninety or the uh, the the, the stand miniseries. Okay. I don't know. I was going to say nineteen ninety four miniseries. That's not a thing. Yeah. Um. I have seen the stand miniseries. Okay. When it was describing the Wendigo. Yeah. In the bog. Yeah. It described it as having like this tongue covered in scales, and it had horns like ram's horns. I haven't finished reading the book, The Stand, so I don't know if there's a description of Randall Flagg at the end, but at the end of the miniseries, he definitely has, like, changed into something that has, if I'm recalling correctly, like, ram's horns and, like, a long... It may have been scales on his face and not his tongue. I don't remember. Huh. I, I, my only remembrance Unless of... I'm totally making that up. I might be making it up. I know that he is reborn... But I thought he was at the just end of re- the stand? at the end of the stand. Yeah, 
I just, I don't remember whether, I thought it was just he was reborn in like South America as like this other despot. Like he's always reborn as someone evil or something. He gets like, I mean, unless I'm seriously getting confused between this miniseries and something else, I seem to recall him getting like progressively more devil looking. Okay. As the thing goes on. Okay. And by the end, I'm pretty sure he had some horns that were very, like, rams-like. And, hmm. like, I I feel like the thing in the bog was... But it was, like, If she's... If Ellie's tall. got the shine... Yeah. And there's this thing in the bog, I feel like that may have been... If not flag, then flag adjacent. I, th- I think it's... I think it's... I think flag adjacent is... I'm, I'm absolutely willing to agree to flag adjacent. I don't recall that part of the stand, but once you're nearing the end of the stand, you're sort of like, uh huh, uh huh. All right, let's keep, let's, let's keep let, trucking. Let's, let's keep, just let's just get we're done. We're getting there. The book is really hard to keep open at this point. Uh-huh. It is because like <laughs> it is. I'm, I'm at the point where it is getting hard to hold the book in a way that I can see the words near yeah. the crease. Yeah, because there's so much shadow because the book is so big it doesn't want to stay open properly. Yes. Um, so I don't recall. Okay. But I but of anyone who's going to do that, Stephen King is the one that's going to do that. So uh, I yeah. I wouldn't put it past him. Um, we also discovered a hidden uh, Stephen King Easter egg in the name Coslaw. Yeah. Um, which is the name of one of the characters in eleven twenty two sixty three, who is uh, a fairly big character. Yeah, Mike Coslaw is like he's on the football team. He ends up uh, playing Lenny in their production of of Mice and Men. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's not like a major character, but he's a pretty big player in that segment of Jake's life. Exactly. Um, and then in this book, there was a Coslaw. It was like one of Norma's best friends. Yeah. Who had recently died. So you got to that part, and you asked me. So I so I searched for it in in my. Kindle version of eleven twenty two sixty three that I apparently always have with me. <laughs> um, well, it's on your phone. So it yeah. is on my phone, but I have it like actively downloaded. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, well, hey. I, I didn't realize it, but I was like, nope, that checks out. Yep. So then I searched cost law, and it came up with a third cost law who is in the cycle of the werewolf book. Okay. Um, he was played by Corey, Corey Haim. Haim, yes. Feldman played in in Stand by Me. Right. Haim was in Cycle of the Werewolf. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. So our our question for Stephen King, if we ever get in the same room with him asking him a question, has suddenly become why Coslaw? So, so what's up with Coslaw? Like, do you did you know someone, or is that a reference to something else, or is there something more sinister going on? I feel like we have so many questions for him that are just going to make him be like. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> we'll be like, read the t-shirt. Unabashedly obsessed. With you. <laughs> with you. Um, what other notes did you have? Um, I find his sex scenes uncomfortable and I don't know why. Okay. I don't know why. He's not like gross or gratuitous about it. But like when he decides to write something other than we made love all night. I'm like, like whenever he gets any more... Yeah. In depth than that. I'm like, okay, Stephen, we get it. We know that you know what... I don't know if... It... I I thought that the part in the bath was 
really uncomfortable. Yes. I thought the part with the sapphire necklace and stuff was was fine and, and kind of kind of nice. It's fine. Maybe it's because I read so many you, sex scenes. Yeah. That and, and they're almost exclusively written by women right. for women. Sure. And so they are written in a way that like really taps into female fantasy. Mm-hmm. And so reading something that is typically from the perspective of a man, right, written by a man. That's not really trying to fulfill any fantasy as much as just express the fact that these two people are being intimate with one another. Not in a sexless marriage sort of right. situation. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, it doesn't make me uncomfortable the way the stuff with the cat did. Okay, sure, 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 sure. It, but it kind of makes me just a little bit like, okay, I would like to, like, okay, I'm going to just skip these paragraphs. Yeah, um, I get that. Because I, f- I find it happening in a lot of the different books of his that I've read where he... Basically, any reference he makes to sex makes me just a little... Like, it squeaks <laughs> me out just a tiny bit. Huh. Like, there have been references to, like, masturbation and stuff where I'm just like, okay, moving along. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because that's... Like, I don't mind reading a sex scene when I feel like it's... It belongs in the book. Yeah. But, like, this is a book about dead kids and dead cats right. and zombies I don't want to read about sex. Just get to the dead. Get to the zombie kid. We're hearing about enough things rising to life. We don't right. need to- <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I've heard a lot of people say that they find Stephen King's sex scenes kind of squicky. Uh huh. And I, I don't know what it is because it's not that they're poorly written or awkwardly written. They're just fine. I mean, there just- has to be something to do with it's a you know a man you know writing it and sort of like kind of an old school maybe by which i mean sort of like perhaps i don't know i don't know yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know what it is i i i think that a lot of it is that like i don't i think a lot of it stems from the fact that these are not the types of books where I am prepared, like, I'm not expecting these scenes. And so when they keep cropping up, I'm like, okay, we get it. This couple has sex a lot. Can we please just get to the part where that I'm, you know, the, the parts that I'm expecting from this book? Do, is it is it similar to how, like, the sex scenes in, like, Friday the 13th aren't super sexy? Like... I don't know. Because it's like, they're... You know that that's not the point of this. And in fact... There, there. It's possible that something horrific is about to happen while this. So it's not. It's like it's almost like a weird. There's a weird tone playing in the background. Maybe. Um, I feel like it's similar in, in this. So it's like, well, you know, let's take a quick break from you know bringing things to life via burying them in the right ancient Micmac burying ground to just you know have some good loving. Like, it's sort Maybe. of like, oh, what, what? This is... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, It like, it doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the story. And, yeah. like, I get that, you know, he wants to show that these people are in a committed, loving, sexually healthy relationship. Right. But I don't... Like, it doesn't... I guess maybe it's the mundanity of it. Mm. Mundanity? Mundanity? mundaneity the mundane nature of not not that he writes mundane sex scenes but like with all of these bizarre 
buck wild things happening to take the time to write a sex scene. Yeah. Like, you've got cats reanimating. You've got the old dude across the way with everything going on with him. You've got kids reanimating and after they've been horribly killed. And then you get these sex scenes. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I can't yeah. put a finger on it. Yeah. But. Hmm. That's very interesting. Kind of related. What is the deal with their two single beds? They kept mentioning his bed versus her bed. Right. And when they first moved in, it was just two twin mattresses on the floor shoved together. Right. Which essentially makes a king bed. I was fine with that. Yeah. And then she keeps bringing the little boy into bed with them. Like when he's not feeling well, she brings him into bed. And at one point, she's like cuddling him against the edge of her bed. And Lewis is on his side of the bed. And then there's another time when she's got Gage in the bed with her and there's no room for Lewis. So he goes to sleep on the sofa. Yeah. Or the sofa bed. And then there are other times where it mentions that she's on her bed or he climbs into his bed and it makes it sound like they're the mattresses have been separated, but then sometimes they seem to be together. It doesn't make sense. Is that a thing that bothered you or even that I, you noticed? I did notice it. I think in the sec in one of the sex scenes they talked about like she was sitting on on her bed. Below. Yeah, it was a sapphire yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, he comes into the room and she's on her bed wearing nothing but the sapphire necklace. Right. Um, I think it goes back to, I was, uh, I was listening to a podcast about it. I don't remember which one. In the 80s, uh, you weren't allowed to write about married couple. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, really? In the 80s? Because <laughs> I know that for a long time on TV, you yeah. couldn't show married couples sharing a bed. Right. But I, and I think the weird thing about that was it was because they weren't actually like it was a weird like, yeah, but these two aren't actually married. So like, oh, like these actors aren't actually married, so they can't sit in a bed together. We're, we're going to get I can already hear future Mark typing an email, <laughs> um, but I, I it, it's either that or it was like because you know what happens in a bed. Right. We can't even imply that that might happen. Right. So. I think it's probably more likely that one. Pro- that makes more sense. Yeah. I can hear future Mark deleting his email. What else do I have? Oh, I have two, two more, three more notes. Um, the Oz, the Gwait and Terrible yeah. thing annoyed the fuck out of me. Yep. Like, it, I, just, I felt like I was being hammered over the head with it. Yeah. This is the wife's sister had um, a print on her wall of... The Wizard of Oz, and she, when she was little and couldn't pronounce it, she would call it Oz the Great and Terrible. Right. And there was this horribly traumatic event where she was very ill, and the wife was like eight years old and left alone in the house to care for her, and the sister started to choke and she died. So the wife is like, like cripplingly fear of death. So yeah. he can't, that's why he can't, that's the reason that Stephen King has written that he can't discuss any of this like dead cat back to life stuff. Yeah, with his wife or his yeah. There were the the choice to reanimate the cat stemmed from the daughter having freaked out when she realized that death is a thing that exists. Right, and that one day her cat would die, and what am I going to do when my cat dies? And then the wife wouldn't let him talk to the daughter about it. Right, and so the wife has this crippling fear and paranoia of death, and he's a doctor. Right. Who understands that death is a natural part of life. Right. 
And so it was a really interesting contrast. Sure, absolutely. Um, but yeah, the Oz the Great and Terrible thing just kept coming up more and more. And I realized that it was being worked in as part of like the psychotic break he was having. And yeah, I think from a meta standpoint, Stephen King sometimes latches onto something. Yeah. And it's like he swings for it. Yeah. And like sometimes it lands and sometimes it doesn't. Particular. Oz the Great and Terrible is Randall Flag? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Wendell Flag. Wendell Flag. So yeah, that that it, all those W's super super bugged me. Yeah. Um, well, and just the constantly bringing up this Wizard of Oz print that he had it like Lewis had it stuck in his head. Right. He wasn't there. He never saw it. Right. It just seemed like a weird thing for Lewis to grab onto. I understand Stephen King grabbing onto it and beating us over the head with it because that's what he does. It seemed like a weird thing for Lewis to grab onto. And every time he's in the bog and thinks that he hears something or the whole time he's at his son's funeral, he just thinks of Oz the Great and Terrible as the specter of death looming over their family. Right. Yeah. Yeah. that, That is weird. Yeah. It bothered me. I can, I can see, I can see. It, it bothered me as well. Like it, it was too lofty a thing to just keep on for, for him to keep harping on. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah. that. Um, the epilogue. Yeah, I need, I need a second epilogue. Yeah. Like I would read a whole other book about what happens next. Do you think now? Would you read it? Would you be more interested in reading it if it's just like, if she's not evil or if she is evil? Because like one of his things was she hasn't been buried like. Like she, so he reanimates his kid who has been dead for like four or five days at this point. Yeah. And the kid comes back evil. Right. Kills the old man across the street. Kills his own mother. Right. Lewis manages to kill both the cat and also his son. Right. Reanimated corpse. Right. And then he takes his wife's body that is freshly dead. Right. Like by a couple hours at most. Right. And goes and buries her. And then this epilogue is he's sitting in his house and she walks up and puts her hand on his shoulder and says, hello, darling. darling. Yeah. Or maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's just darling. Darling. Yeah, like in, in like, like a, a raspy voice. I've just been buried. I have dirt in my mouth. Right. Please forgive me. Do you have, could I get some water? <laughs> right. <laughs> so his thinking is she's freshly dead. The only, like the longer dead the person or animal has been, the more evil they seem to be when they come back. There right. was, there were some dogs and cats that came back just kind of like, meh. Right. Like, not the same, but not evil. Right. There was a bull that understandably took a while to get that corpse to the pet cemetery. Right. And that bull came back mean. Right. There was a boy from town who had gone off to Vietnam. It was World War One. World War... Okay, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> he had gone off to World War One. was killed in action... They flew his body back. After the funeral, his father dug him up and reburied him in the pet cemetery. Right. Which it wasn't even the pet cemetery. It was this Native American burial ground. It was, yeah, it was like pet cemetery 
Annex. But I guess Micmac isn't as good a title. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. But so he came back evil, like knowing things that he had no way of knowing. Yeah. And just not like murderously evil, but like... Menacingly evil. Menace, just menacing and creepy and seemed like it could have gone the route of being murderously evil eventually. Whereas Gage, the little boy, comes back and immediately steals a scalpel from his dad's doctor bag and then goes and starts killing people. Right. Gage hadn't been dead nearly as long as Timmy Baderman had. Right. Because Gage didn't have to be flown back from overseas. Right. So I don't know why Gage was more evil. Yeah. Unless it has something to do with, like, for every person who gets buried, the next one is going to be more evil than the last. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with the amount of time that the person has been dead because he buried the cat pretty soon after the cat died. I mean, the cat had had a chance for, like... To freeze to the ground. Yeah, for, like, the frost on the ground to start to, like, attach him to the grass. And, like, some rigor mortis had set in. But he'd been dead overnight at most yeah and he didn't come back evil i don't know but he definitely came back not as nice yeah and he smelled bad yeah i don't know yeah i also want to know what was his plan for when he reanimates his child and his wife and daughter come home from grandma's house and suddenly you've got this zombie kid and you're like, hey, I brought him back. No, he was he was going to go to another, to a neutral location, I think Florida, and be like, yo, so come see me in Florida. Right. But like, what was his reaction for dealing with his wife and daughter walking in and seeing Gage alive question mark again? Yeah. He was going to, he was going to slow roll it was his only plan. He was like. I'll do it. I'll introduce it to them slowly, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he did a bunch of planning. Yeah. 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 I don't. I think it was one of those things where it was like grief had just like. Yeah. Chucked the planning box right in, right onto the fire. Like, yeah. I think we witnessed multiple levels of psychotic break happening with this man during the course of the last half of this book. Yeah. So like Pet Cemetery 2 life with corpse bride right would what, be what was the wife's name laura rachel rachel right yeah i was um, gonna say laura right i get those names confused for some reason that i is... always have it's a it's very strange for a like ever since like elementary school i get the names laura and rachel confused huh it's very weird because those names are not the same they're not but i kind of get it for our generation i think that it's probably fairly yeah. Th- they're both fa- probably fairly common. Yeah. Um, like, if she's not evil and it's just like, kind of like bewitched. If instead it was like zombie and not a witch, like, oh, my boss is coming over. Zombie Rachel, you got to make sure that you don't drop a finger into the. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, like she's at the very yeah. least, she's gonna smell bad. Right. She's gonna smell like the grave. Right. She's going to have all of these scars from where she was stabbed repeatedly. Right. And she's going to not, like, the essence of life will not be in her. So right. she's going to feel like a slab of meat lying in bed next to him. Right. So I'm assuming that what happens is whether she's evil or not, he's going to end up killing her too. Right. 
hopefully, before his daughter comes back home, I'm assuming he's just going to lose custody and she's going to go live with grandma and grandpa. Right. Did she have the shine from the beginning or is that something that developed after her brother died? I, I don't know. I think there's something Stephen Kingian about like, um, just like kids. Yeah. Like every all kids have it a little bit and like maybe it got... The trauma heightened it. Yeah, amped up a little bit yeah. by the trauma and stuff. Yeah. I have one final note. Okay. But if you have anything you would like to touch on about the book before I slightly move on from the book for I, this note. I guess the the most difficult part for me in terms of what you're talking about with like the dealing with death mm-hmm. situation was her carrying around the photo yeah of him the the little the daughter carrying around the photo yeah it, i have a a a daughter and a son and the daughter is older than the son and the daughter and my my kids love each other very very much so like yeah. i definitely um was like oh man this this hit this hits very close to home that one that part didn't hit as close to home for me because yeah. i can like if something were to happen to Kaylee, Lorelai's not the type to glom on to that photograph and carry it around like that. Yeah. Lila might not be a like with a prop. Lila might just fixate on it like conversationally. Like she she would like yeah. like just keep on bringing it up and keep on like just cranking it over in her head. I can see Lorelai doing that. Yeah, but. This is a morbid turn this conversation's uh-huh. taken. Yep. So what did what did you, you start? Want? You starting to feel kind of the way I did reading that whole section? I mean, I I guess like I guess I'm able to. I was sort of able to read it from a bit of a remove because I was like, okay, and then this is going to be reasons, you know, thirteen reasons why I should reanimate my child. Yeah. So I was able to remove myself a little bit from it. Um, That's another case where there are always, whether there are more or more or fewer reasons, there's always better reasons why you don't do the thing. Yeah, yep. And don't reanimate your dead child. If if you take one thing from this episode, please don't reanimate your dead child. <laughs> dun dun dun. Yeah, I don't. I I really I don't know why that whole section hit me as hard as it did. Yeah. I really would have expected to be able to remove myself from it a bit more than I was able to. I mean, there's a there's a lesson here about like, um, I don't remember what song it is, but like, oh, uh, <laughs> I'll be missing you, the Puff Daddy song about mm-hmm. Notorious B.I.G. There's a line in there about, um, I'd give anything, uh, to hear half a breath. Mm-hmm. And I know that like it's to rhyme with, you know, living on after death or whatever, like right. your memory lives on after death. But that line always bugs me because I'm like, you'd give anything right. to hear half a breath. So, okay, here's your, give me, you know. Give me your anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's and, and like that, that's a silly example, but like, like, oh, wouldn't it be better if they were if they were here right now? Well, okay, what I don't know. It morning is weird and 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 not something that Do you think Stephen King writing books is like when we put out a podcast episode and immediately forgot forget everything that we talked about? I think Like if we were to ask him questions about Pet Cemetery, do you think he would be like, I don't know, that was almost thirty years ago. Do you think I remember what I put in that book? I don't know. I think that there are books that the answer would be a wholehearted no, Cujo. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, right. 
I think that other books maybe more so. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to go to like. I guess authors don't really do like like greatest hits tours. No, just like I wish they did. I'm just going on tour. Let's talk about whatever book it is. Like Stephen to, King, please go on tour. You know what's? I know we got to stop, but like um, so um, Alkaline Trio is a band mm-hmm. um that um did a thing where they played like uh four nights of shows and they played two of their albums randomly selected each night. Okay. So it was like, all right, tonight we're playing Roll Dice, Roll Dice, Roll Dice, this one and that one. Okay. And you didn't know before they like started playing the albums okay. and stuff. Like, I'm not saying I want that from Stephen King, but I think it'd be cool if like he went on tour and he's like, all right, my DC dates are September 16th and 17th. The 16th, I'm going to be reading a section of Cujo and we'll talk in like... And we'll talk about how I just don't remember yeah, it at like, all. Like he'll, he'd do like a reading and like he, the Q&A could be about whatever, yeah. but like I know that he has to tour The Outsider and whatever, yeah. but like it'd be cool if he just did a like, listen, I'm, I'm just going to go on tour and just like today I'm reading from Cujo, tomorrow I'm reading from Shawshank Redemption, you know, like the yeah. next day I'm reading from The Stand. Just like, let's just... Yeah. Celebrate me. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm down for yeah. it. Like that'd be cool, but I don't think that's how book that's tours not work. How book tours work, unfortunately. Yeah. All right, I have a final question for you. Okay. They are making another movie of this. They are. It is coming out in 2019. Okay. Stars John Lithgow as Judd. I can see it. Can you? Yep. Cause I can't. Have you seen The Crown at all? No. So he plays Winston Churchill, maybe not in The Crown. He plays Winston Churchill, I think, in The Crown. Um, okay. And it's on Netflix, and he's very jowly and, like, British and John Lithgow, not okay. thin. And I can that's sort of how I picked. Because Wilford Brimley is dead. Who's Wilford Brimley? Uh, the diabetes guy. He has, like, a... You, you might know him. He was, like... He was in Cocoon. He had what, what is what is the connection to this conversation? I pictured Judd as looking like Wilford Brimley, but because Wilford Brimley is dead, I can definitely see a very jowly John Lithgow. See, I pictured him. him being very, like, slender and spry. Interesting. Like, almost like the type of dude who, like, you know, used to be a cowboy and grew up on a ranch and like like walks a little bit bow legged. So you like a, a more of like an, an Eastwood state of mind. Yeah, I was picturing like an older, like a like a not as weathered version of Eastwood. More of like, like a like an old man grew up in this town, but and like never left this town. But yeah, definitely from like the Winston Churchill to Clint Eastwood scale. Yeah. Definitely skewing on the side of Eastwood. Oh, that's interesting. And like you tend to... Because it kept talking about how he was like in fairly good shape. I, I, I kept reading like he was in fine shape, but that Lewis was surprised at how not worn out he was. I, I read it as despite his physique. But See, I read it, was... it as despite his age. Mm. I read it as, like, he's in remarkably good shape for an 83-year-old man. But Lewis was still really shocked that he didn't get winded on this three-mile hike. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. 
Interesting. I don't know who played him. Let me look up real quick. I don't let me look up real quick who played him in the original Pet Cemetery. We're getting to a place where Stephen King should start playing these old wise and old I men. Know. Who's um, playing Lewis? Fred Gwynn. Oh, that's Herman Munster. Okay. I He was also the judge in My Cousin Vinny? Yeah, I've only seen that once. Very deep voice. But yeah, so it. we might have to. I might have to look at that trailer later. Uh, oh. Jason Clark is playing Lewis Creed in the new one. Yeah, Jason Clark is known for Zero Dark Thirty. All right, never saw that. Um, he's known for Terminator Genesis. Uh, I wanted to see that. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. No. Oh, he played um, George in the, he was Daisy's husband. No, not, no, because she was a Buchanan. He was George Wilson in the 2013 Great Gatsby. George Wilson was one of Tom Buchanan's friends. Yeah. He, was he, he the, the guy one who that was ran married? The... Was he the one who, who was married to the woman who got hit by the car? I think so. I think so. Or owned the car that hit the woman? Yeah. I don't remember. All I remember is her boob got unhinged yeah, that's her the only. Chest. Yeah, that's the only thing I remember. It was like a boob flap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only thing I remember. Like the main thing I took away from reading that book in high school was the boob flap. Let me tell you that reading that book out of high school, that's a pretty good book. And it's super violent. Yeah. And it when, super is. When you're not trying to fill in the short answer of what the glasses represent, boy, right. you get a, a big, a big glimpse into like... A lot more gruesome stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. It's like a rugged Elijah Wood. Yeah, like if Elijah Wood and Bradley Cooper got photoshopped together. I can see that. Who's the, who's, this guy. Who's playing the wife? Um, The wife is Amy Simons. I don't know who that is. That lady. I pictured her brunette. Yeah. I, I, I was probably picturing Rachel Weiss because of the name, but... See, I was kind of picturing Amy Adams. Yeah, I don't recognize any of... Uh, I, that's interesting that we had such... I tend to not do great with, like, character descriptions versus the person in my head. Yeah. And you tend to be like, no, see here in the in the text, it says Slender. And I'm like, yeah, well, I guess I read Slender as Portly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. However, once I've got a mental image of somebody in my head, I can't get it out. Yeah. So overall, I'm glad I read it. Yep. It marked off a box on my Stephen King list. Yep. I kind of wish I could forget that I read it. Okay. While also really enjoying the craft that went into it. Okay. I can see that. If that makes sense. It was definitely more horror. Yeah. Then then I'm I'm used like, to. Yeah. Like this is this is what people think of when they typically think of Stephen King. Yeah. I agree. They they think of shit like this. Like th- <laughs> this was one of the most horrifying things I've ever read. Yeah. It was right up there with So Widow's Point by Richard Chismar yeah. is one of the most chilling things i've ever read okay this is one of the most horrifying okay like the two of those are right up there and i've read them both fairly close together yeah as like huh 
Yeah. They just like, they gave me the heebie-jeebies in various ways. Yeah. I didn't like it. I uh, Also made me want to go snuggle a cat. Mm. Like not a zombie cat. Sure. An alive cat. Okay, that, that, that's and a I good distinction. Snuggle it. I want to snuggle it and say, I'm really glad you're not a zombie cat. <laughs> I can't explain the way my brain works. <laughs> I just, I want to snuggle a not zombie cat. Um, I enjoyed it. I'm glad I read it. I like, I would probably read it again just for like, I really like the stuff like when she was driving to the, like, like the airline stuff and mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I, I like, I like incidental just sort of like, so weird stuff's going on, but you still have to figure out flying. Yeah. Incidental, but furthers the plot. Yeah. Not like the sex scenes. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I almost looked up the movie at the library and then I remembered our experience with Misery and I said, no, you may not watch this movie right after you've read the book. Right. You need to put some distance between yourself. Speaking of which, we should probably get around should, to Misery at some point. Yeah, we should soon. rewatch Misery. Yeah. It's supposed to be... Uh, the, oh, uh, the most recent Entertainment Weekly has the top 10 Stephen King adaptations. Oh, yeah? Um, Misery's up there, isn't Misery's it? in it. Uh, 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 Shawshank, I think, is the first one. Yeah. Shawshank's um, very good. Everything, and then the tenth one was Mr. Mercedes. Oh, I'm so I so want to see that. I don't know how we see that. My mother-in-law has watched it because they have Direct TV. She said that I can borrow her phone when we're in St. Louis and watch it. And every time she says that, I'm like, whatever. And like, then like then, then like then like two minutes go by, and the closer we get to St. Louis, I'm like, no, I might do that. <laughs> I have noticed since I've picked the stand back up again, uh-huh. they cut so much stuff, like ma- like big stuff from the miniseries. Like yeah. the little boy, the little boy with the shine, yeah, just isn't in the miniseries. Yeah. Kind of a major character in the book. Yeah. But also you can totally tell the story without him. It's been, it's been interesting to see how you can tell the story yeah. without some characters who seem very major. This, I mean, this stand is the most like, director's cut yeah sort of i mean like i mean it literally is because this is an expanded and yeah and whatever version but like yeah you're definitely like bonus features galore yeah bonus characters all right so shall we wrap this up yeah i think we probably should okay we have social media and that social media is as follows we have a facebook group called unabashedly obsessed with unabashedly obsessed that you should join two weeks ago i posted Lots and lots of YouTube links to various So You Think You Can Dance uh, routines. Yes. This week, I promise not to post lots and lots of links to various zombified children and cats. All right. That, that's, and that's a promise that you can take to the bank. I thought you were going to say take to the grave. Yes. Well, Which doesn't make as much sense. Nope. And yet. <laughs> <laughs> and yet here we are. Um, we also have a Twitter. We do. At UFO Podcast. You decide what the F stands for. Today, the F stands for... Formaldehyde. Formaldehyde. There you go. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, we have individual Twitters. I am at Unabashed James. I'm at Unabashedly Aaron. And we also have an email you can email us at, uh, obsessed at gmail.com. We have a merch store, cafepress.com slash unabashedlyobsessed, and a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash unabashedlyobsessed. If you want to financially support the show and or wear our cartoon faces on your chest. 
We'd like to thank Jamie Shaheen for our theme song. Did you guys know there was a ladder down here? You can find Jamie's band A Silent Few on YouTube. Thank you also to Emily Cardamus for her excellent logo art. You can find Emily on Twitter at Corrupted Gem. This has been a chilling, a bone-chilling episode of Unabashedly Obsessed. I'm James. I'm Aaron. Smoking kills. And so do pennies. And sometimes they Some come back. Zombie pennies come back? Uh-huh. Oh, no. Like a lucky penny. But in the unluckiest way. Because it's going to kill you. <laughs> Zombie pennies. Zombie pennies. Ha, ha, ha.